Welcome to Fantasy Sports Daily with Kyle Frank and Ray Flowers, Monday through Friday at 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Don't forget to use the promo code FSD20 for a 20% discount on the products over at FantasyGuru.com. Thirty-two has become four. We welcome you into Fantasy Sports Daily on a Monday. Kyle Elfrick here, Ray Flowers over there. You, of course, out in uh, Facebook, YouTube, Xland, Podland, wherever. It is great to have you alongside. And uh, Ray Flowers, as I noted, we used to have thirty-two NFL teams competing for a title. We're now officially down to four. And uh, I gotta say, Ray, that even if you rewound the clock to August. Maybe maybe three of these four teams would have been heavy calls to make it to this point. San Francisco and Kansas City. But Baltimore gained a lot of steam midseason. I don't think people were really expecting them to be a, a true Super Bowl contender. Uh, but they've been there since about the end of September. But, Ray, then we see the Detroit Lions. The Detroit, And, and for once, Ray, a team that is hyped mm-hmm. coming into the year actually probably has exceeded the hype just a bit for the second time in franchise history. They are in the final four of the NFL playoffs. Yeah, and it's really interesting because we talked so much about it last year. Over the last half of the season last year, they were really good. You know, they were really good. They Everything kind of gelled and they figured out their, their systems and what they wanted to do and carried over into this season as well. And they had that long-term success, uh, won the division. It's shocking to think that the Lions have won more playoff games this season than they have since 1958. <laughs> 1958 right. to 2022, Kyle. Less <laughs> playoff victories than they have this season. That's how wild it must be right now in Detroit. Uh, good times to be a Lions fan. They will, of course, be off to San Francisco for the matchup on Sunday night. Chiefs will continue their road journey taking on Baltimore today on FSD. We'll recap the whole weekend. Obviously, we uh, weren't with you since last Friday, so we've got four games to kind of go through. A relatively easy victory for Baltimore. Uh, the other three games, though, uh, kind of went down late into the fourth quarter. Um, you saw it on Saturday night. San Francisco had to mostly put together a, a strong fourth quarter to survive against Green Bay in advance. And then on Sunday, the uh, Buffalo Bills coming up short late. Josh Allen again losing to Patrick Mahomes in the playoffs. Uh, what's that mean for Buffalo? Could mean some changes, I think. And then, of course, Detroit with that win against Tampa Bay. Again, we're going to review it all. Uh, speaking of reviewing this week, we are talking wide receivers. Uh, previous two weeks here on the show, we've kind of gone back and taken a look at the QB position, the running back position, how those two spots have performed in the year that was. This week, we'll spend some time on wide receivers. And then, of course, we look ahead. Uh, last week or so, we've been talking a lot of baseball. Today is the day that we begin our positional previews. Mentioned we're reviewing football. We are previewing baseball uh, all week. We will talk catchers. We will continue, of course, to talk about Ray's draft guide, which is out. Uh, You see, we're going to talk some multi-positional considerations today. Josh Hader to Houston. But Ray, to remind everybody, another few days closer to the start of the season, which means another few days closer to the start of the fantasy baseball season. Yeah, we're in high gear uh, at FantasyGuru.com. Basically, the schedule is such that we're getting at least two articles a day. Uh, and then that's Monday through Friday. And then Saturday, Sunday, at least one. This week, for all of you in the head-to-head format, uh, this is your week. We got like six, seven articles coming out. We're going to blow through that. I'm doing a bunch of them. Patio Joe's going to jump in and do his review of the position or the, the setup as well. Uh, all of that through the preseason. 
into the regular season, through the regular season, all of it is included. It's $50 for the draft guide right now. Go to the website, uh, join now tab in the top right. You can click on the link if you're with us there on YouTube below or when you're looking at the screen there as well. Uh, use the promo code FSD20. That gets you a 20% discount on the baseball product. It would also get you a discount on the DFS product, the hockey product, the basketball product, all of them, FSD20. Uh, so check that out. Uh, we're, we're rocking and rolling, Kyle, and uh, I'm excited to ramp up uh, the talk about uh, baseball a little bit here on the show. Yeah, we're going to do a lot of it uh, here today after we take care of the football. And, of course, with the football season slowly uh, coming to a close, there'll be more and more baseball as we come at you each and every day at 11 a.m. Eastern. You mentioned the uh, head-to-head uh, articles that you're going to have being posted this week. It was last Friday you told me you were running a poll mm-hmm. to see how many people uh, play head-to-head versus, say, points or five-by-five. Uh, do, do we have results? Are we still running that poll? Where do these uh, things stand right now? We do. And let me see if I can pull it up right here. It's, it'll be in my article tomorrow. Uh, I actually have screen captures going through the year, starting in 2020. And I basically run the poll every year. 2020, it, the question was, do you, you know, prefer head-to-head or roto, right? In 2020, it was 55% head-to-head. 2022, it was 53% head-to-head. In 2023, it was 54% head-to-head. Mm. This year, in 2024, it was 54%. Huh. So the majority of people, every time I run this poll, slightly favor head-to-head over Roto. And it's fascinating that when you read the comments, and you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram and all that, at the Ray Flowers. When you look at the comments, the Roto people always say they're surprised by the results. The head-to-head people <laughs> by the results, which I guess is why it's basically 50-50 when I run the poll. I'll tell you what I'm surprised about, Ray, the fact that maybe your Twitter poll is statistically relevant because four straight years of running it, you've got about the same numbers. I I, I thought it would jump around a little more just because of how X can be. You know, Mm -hmm. sometimes people see a post and they Mm -hmm. vote. Maybe sometimes people see a post and they vote 12 times, whatever it may be. But uh, to see it that consistent over a four-year span. 2% yeah, difference over that period of time. Pretty shocking. Yeah, fairly remarkable. So a lot of baseball coming your way, but as noted, we're going to start with some football, obviously recapping uh, what went down. And we'll begin with Sunday, and we'll begin, Ray, with the game that even going into the weekend, I think everybody was uh, most excited about. It was Kansas City going on the road to Buffalo. And uh, kudos to the Chiefs. Um, I, I thought they played... <laughs> I haven't watched every single second of the Chiefs this year, but that was uh, one of the better games I've seen against good competition on the road in a in a tough situation. Um, I think feels like for the first time, Travis Kelsey looked like Travis Kelsey. It's kind of been a long while that he'd been that featured and had found his way into the end zone. Isaiah Pacheco continues to kind of just hum along. Um, if you start to look at Pacheco in, in the end of the season, he's becoming much more relevant as an RB1 going into next season. Um, and while all that's happening, Ray, Patrick Mahomes is just kind of doing his thing. It's not like in your face, over the top, you know, 420 yards and four touchdowns. Now we've kind of settled into this realm where Patrick Mahomes doesn't make any mistakes, where he's highly efficient, and he settles for 280 yards and a couple of touchdowns. That's that's kind of where he's at, it appears, right now in this offense. Well, the last time he threw for 280 yards, week 15. Yeah, like it's been a while. Last time he threw, he's only thrown for 265 yards once in five games, or 260 yards, excuse me, once in five games. But to your point, he's gotten rid of the turnover. He's running an effective offense, and you know this is—he's not become a game manager because he still does amazing things on the field. But the numbers are kind of game manager-ish, 
right? We've had kind of a flip-flop. Baker Mayfield is thrown for 303 every week, and we're getting 215 and two from Patrick Mahomes. It's working. Um, it was, I think, I I expected the Bills to win. It was a good game, like you said. I expected the Bills to win. But in the end, Mahomes didn't make any mistakes. He, you know, guided the ship. And, you know, uh, one thing, by the way, Bills fans, stop throwing snowballs at people. My God. Patrick Mahomes goes to give a kid a signed autograph thing after the game. And kid, fans are throwing snowballs. I'm like, come on, man. You lost the football game. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, Mahomes, he's, he's something, Kyle. The stats aren't there in the fantasy space. They're not exciting but they're winning football games. Well, it's it's crazy. And it was said after the uh, victory yesterday, six seasons, he's been a QB starter. And all six years, he's made the AFC championship. I mean, that's, <laughs> that's out of this world. And I get it. He's on a good team. But to do it six for six um, is unheard of. And, and, and I think, Ray, you know, the, what's interesting about this year is it hasn't been a great year. The, the, the Chiefs have looked more beatable this year than – any other, you know, the previous five years when he was making those AFC championships. But what's developed this year is actually a great deal that bodes well for the future. Even if they go to Baltimore and lose this week, you still have Pat Mahomes. Um, sounds like Travis Kelsey sticking around. And what you found, Ray, is Rasheed Rice, who appears to be kind of a guy you can trust. Mm-hmm. Isaiah Pacheco, mm-hmm. who kind of appears to be. And, of course, the defense. I mean, these are three massive developments this year, Ray, that – are kind of a switcheroo from the usual MO of the Chiefs. Yeah, and I think that you're right. These things are all in place. There's obviously concern about Pacheco holding holding on long-term. He's not a huge guy. He runs so incredibly hard and all that. But if he can do his thing, and he's he did in the second half last year too, right? If he can stay healthy, that they can have an effective run game. They've got Mahomes. They've got Kelsey hanging on. They've got Rice. If they can add that one extra piece – in a pass catching form because you can't have it be Hardman and MBS and you know Justin Watson like if they could and it could be a DeAndre Hopkins type like it could even be a veteran that's not super sexy right give me a Juju Smith-Schuster from a couple years ago guy that can catch 75 80 passes if they add that to everything they got and they're able to keep the defense together and the coaching staff like you're saying this is they're not an easy team to play and I think we've all focused in the fantasy space on the fact that the offense hasn't been as potent as it hasn't in the past which is totally fair because it hasn't been, but they're, they're still a team that won their division. They still made the playoffs. They're here again, to your point. They're just a winning organization. That's all you can say. And and on the other side, Ray, um, it's not like Buffalo is a bad team or yesterday was a disaster, but it's another example of you better make good when the window's open. And I don't know how much longer that window's open for Buffalo. Uh, Mike Sando, who does a great job over at The Athletic, he's kind of one of their lead football writers every Monday. He does like a pick six, six kind of a, uh, you know, deep thoughts about whatever's occurred in the previous Sunday. And he brought it up with with the Chiefs and the Bills. Um, the fact that Buffalo, this defense, is actually really young. They've retooled and, you know, we've talked a lot about when you're paying Patrick Mahomes what you're paying him. Mm-hmm. You've got to find answers elsewhere. They've gone really young and cheap at receiver. They've also gone very young and drafted really well on defense. He compared that to Buffalo Hooray. I mean, their defense has like 10 dudes yesterday who are in their 30s. And, you know, they're fighting the same thing with Josh Allen. Mm-hmm. Josh Allen has the big contract. So you've got to find youth. You've got to like cut corners in a few spots when you have that issue. And you've got to do well in the draft. And frankly, the Chiefs have done a lot better than the Bills have in the draft. Uh, you know, Josh Allen to me is is still fine, Ray. You know, still a guy who can, you know, compete with the top three or four quarterbacks in the league. But the rest of this team, Ray, you're kind of in a retooling spot. 
where and and Greg in our uh, in our chat room, he's he's kind of coming after the Bills a bit. You know, will McDermott get fired? You see it there. Diggs overrated. Like the Stefan Diggs thing, Ray. I know his contract isn't conducive to this, but I wonder if that was the last game we see of Stefan Diggs with the Bills. And he didn't do a thing in this game. He didn't do a thing, honestly, for the last 10 weeks. He dropped a 50, 60 yard catch last night. And and I, I just think there are things going underneath the surface with Diggs. And I wouldn't be surprised at all if they find a way to get out from under his contract and move on from him. I won't say he's gone full Antonio Brown because that's off the charts. Yeah. But he's he's kind of he's gone left bell. I think that's what this is, you know, the diva wide receiver thing. We've had AJ Brown on the whispers with him with the Eagles too. It's like, mm-hmm. you know, these guys, you know, the other day, I guess CeeDee Lamb's mom went on social media and said Dak Prescott isn't the answer. It's like what your son just <laughs> set all-time records for the it's one of the winningest franchises in sports he history. Won Cooper Rush back under. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. Like the, the, the wide receivers always have something to complain about. And it's like yeah. I don't know what's none of us really know what's going on with Diggs and the Bills, but there is something going on and it's been percolating. And it is certainly, I mean, this is a guy that's caught four straight seasons of 100 receptions. And I think he's had eight touchdowns all those years, too. It's like, this is this guy's producing Hall of Fame numbers. And what's the problem? Something's a problem. Something's amiss. He may not be back. And, you know, I think that the two teams are really fascinating just on the field when you talk about their offenses because. Cook has established himself as the Pacheco, the running back, right? They've got Kincaid with Kelsey. For now, they've got Diggs, which I guess would be better than Rice, but, you know, similar mm-hmm. to there. And then it's really a lot on the quarterback. I mean, Josh Allen had 50 touchdowns this year, 50 yeah. touchdowns this season. And I watch him play, and he's in, he's in total control. He's in total control of the game. He can use his legs. He can use his arm. He can beat you anyway. But he doesn't have – elite weapons if Stefan Diggs isn't that guy. Shakir is emerging, which is great. You know, they've got the youngster at the tight end position I mentioned, but, you know, Gabe Davis floats in and out. Diggs floats in and out. Diggs is, you know, basically down the stretch, you had a better chance of Diggs going for 45 yards than you did for 70 yards. I mean, Mm -hmm. and that just doesn't work with this team long-term. they got to find a way to get that level of production back, even if it's not Diggs. And with anybody who's watched this team, what you brought up about Allen is uh, 100% correct and verified like you can just tell everything's riding on this guy um and and look at the end of that game and they talked about it a bit on the broadcast but and and this is not necessarily a knock on Allen, but to me it spoke to to the weight of the world that he's kind of carrying is on his last two passes ray and they're facing what was it a second and nine and a third nine i think that and on both plays he's just trying to gun it 35 yards down the field for a touchdown and there were things underneath that were available, maybe not nine yards, but things that get you six yards or maybe things that do get you a first down. And he was so intent on, hey, I got to win the game now. We got to get a touchdown. And it, he made two passes that, it, you know, not, hey, what makes a QB great? He hits those passes. Like, wow, look at the look at the balls on this guy. He's so incredible. But on those pass attempts, Ray, they landed incomplete. Then Bass comes out, misses the kick. But he was only looking in the end zone. He was not looking for the little bite. He was looking for the big bite, which is part of the greatness, part of the the uh, the you know negative, if you will, with Allen. But again, it spoke to me that he he's just got. He feels like he has to score a touchdown there. 
Like well, it's on him to make the big throw and to make the big play and, and to, to carry them to victory. I mean, they said it on the broadcast 187 times yesterday too. The fact that the Chiefs drove 119 yards in 13 seconds to win that game against the Bills, you know, that's probably in the back of Allen's mind too. Like, man, we can't kick a field goal. We got to score a yeah. touchdown. Like, we got to, you know, we can't let this. The longer we let this game go, the, the less chance we have of emerging. And who knows? But you know, it it to me. And we've talked about Josh Allen for years, right? Because I was anti-Josh Allen when he started. He proved me totally wrong. I'm 100% in now because you can't not be. I mean, Josh Allen is, I love this saying, he's the truth. He just <laughs> he just is. And if they surrounded him with some other weapons and he had more confidence, probably in the defense, to your point, Kyle, he could settle back to a more Mahomesian position, right? Because that's the issue with Allen when he tries to do too much. If he were yeah. able to settle back a little bit, and not have to push it all the way, he'd be right there with Mahomes. Kansas City uh, now advances to take on Baltimore. Uh, let's talk about their win over Houston, where there was a point in the second quarter, Ray, where it looked like Houston was uh, ready to shock the world, you know, after that punt return. And honestly, the Ravens' offense did not look very good in the first half. Um, they, they did not have many strong moments. They did not have many good drives. Jackson did not look accurate. And then, Ray, second half, totally different. And, you know, full credit to Lamar Jackson. We saw Lamar Jackson at his height in the third and fourth quarter. Now, again, the first half was, was nothing special. But, Ray, he turned it on in the second half and, and looked like a league MVP. But we got both sides of Lamar Jackson and really both sides of the Ravens offense in that game against Houston. Yeah, I mean, they they turned it on, like you said. They won the football game. Uh, they hit the over. They hit the spread. They dominated at the end. If you just looked at the scoreboard, you'd say, Wow. Lamar Jackson gave four touchdowns, all that. They struggled at the start. Uh, you know, can you win the Super Bowl even with a good running attack if your quarterback throws for 150 yards, which is 152 yards? And, you know, they they don't, much like the Chiefs, but in a worse scenario, they don't have a guy at wide receiver. Like Zay Flowers is perfectly solid, but he's a rookie he's, and he's not a six foot four, 225 guy. They don't have a – without Mark Andrews out there, they don't have a guy that consistently catches five passes. Odell Beckham, I said this previously, Odell Beckham is arguably on the worst contract in NFL history. They paid <laughs> that guy $15 million, $15 million to catch a pass a week. At least it's one year. At least, At least it's, it's one year. year. Right. But $15 million, he's like their wide receiver four. He doesn't even – like, my gosh, Nelson Aguilar is more involved in the offense. Like, holy cow. That, to me, is the concern. Now, they get Andrews back this week, most likely. They've got Isaiah likely. They do have weapons, right? But the passing attack at some point, you know, even with Lamar Jackson, don't you have to pass to win? I mean, maybe I'm, maybe they can make it work with their defense, okay? But that's the one thing to me that even though they won this game and Lamar did great things, that's the one thing that still it just holds me back. You know, if you if you and I don't know if you can stop Lamar Jackson, so maybe it's a moot point on the ground. Yeah. Maybe you just can't. But if you can contain him on the ground, can he beat you through the air? And I don't know if the answer is yes. Yeah, I, I don't think he can. But, Ray, I don't know if anybody can contain him on the ground either. Yeah, I mean, he's, no. just, he's, he's just electric. And, and they do have enough misdirection and creative play calling to where a defense can't, you know, just totally ignore the other guys. They can't just totally ignore an Andrews or even a Zay Flowers or an Odell Beckham or a Gus Edwards. Like they, they've got, and now, hell, you see Dalvin Cook get eight carries in this game. It's his Ravens debut. So I guess he's now, you know, up for consideration as you talk one and done or whatever it may be. And a lot of that was late. You know, he's kind of getting back into the groove. But I, I, I just look at Baltimore and it's it's not a team that knocks your socks off. They just aren't, but they win. Mm -hmm. They take care of business. And, and they're one of those teams that uh, just as coach well, does yep. things very well. 
Um, I, I saw with Jackson, well, I actually heard this, and I didn't know this before I heard it, but he led the Ravens in rushing this year as a quarterback. Um, he is now the first ever quarterback in the history of the NFL to win in the divisional round after leading his team in rushing. We, we've got all these rushing QBs, but none of them had ever made it to a championship game in their conference. And so Lamar Jackson is that first guy, which makes sense, you know, to get him to this point. He's uh, been knocking on that door. A uh, big moment for him. And they will be hosting Kansas City. I think they are a slight favorite, maybe three points going into that game. And that will be the first kickoff on Sunday. That is a, a three o'clock Eastern game for Kansas City and Baltimore. Um, and we'll kind of have the uh, legend that is Patrick Mahomes trying to keep the hoped for legend Lamar Jackson from uh, moving on. So we'll see on that one. As for the NFC, uh, Ray, let's start with Saturday. Uh, we got some rain. It was kind of messy. We got a, a pretty good performance by the Packers. Who, who I thought were good enough. I thought the Niners came out a little rusty. They lost Debo Samuel. Um, I don't want to say they're lucky to win that game, Ray, but it could have easily gone the other way uh, with a couple of, of switcheroos. And McCaffrey was McCaffrey, and that was probably the key. Because I, I didn't think Brock Purdy was particularly special, Ray. And um, the defense was good, not great, but this was a game where they leaned on McCaffrey. And again, yet again, he answered the bell for the 49ers. Yeah, the Niners lost Debo Samuel in that game to a shoulder issue. Adam Schefter this morning reported that it seems like it's 50-50 whether he's going to be able to play this weekend. And I think that's a big issue. And it's really fascinating to see Debo goes down and the Niners stop Kittle. They still have Ayuk. They still have Christian McCaffrey. Debo goes down and the offense just kind of, eh. I And it's really weird to think you've got CMC who's the number one running back in football, but the offense really still works on Debo Samuel because he, mm-hmm. he's in the backfield. He's split out wide. He's in motion. Like he causes so many issues. The Niners become a much more basic offense without him out there, which is fine. They can still win a football game like they did. Um, but they... You know, they weren't lucky to win, but they could have lost the game to your point, and it wouldn't have been a shock. They they did not distance themselves appreciably from the Packers. Um, you know, their front seven on defense is good. Their defensive backfield's not. Mm-hmm. Uh, on the offensive side, Brock Purdy didn't turn the ball over, but he could have easily had two interceptions, if not three. He did not play a good game. He missed throws high. He missed throws low. He missed throws wide. He played like ass. He did not play well. Uh you can say all that, and they still won the game, which is the positive. But, you know, you can't – other than Christian McCaffrey, really – and Jawan Jennings, I'll give him credit, too. Yeah. Uh, he had a, he had caught five passes. He was blocking everyone, blocked that dude, you know, 15 feet out of bounds on that one play. Um, they had some guys step up, but they need to be better. If they play like that again against the Lions, I don't think they yeah. win the football game. Well, all in all, with Debo out there, you kind of had two McCaffreys out there, Ray. And I, I think, you know, it's, it's hard enough stopping one McCaffrey, as we saw, but whenever you have him out there – you know, it's a, it's a rushing receiving thread. It's a guy who's all constantly on the move and, you know, you have to keep an eye on him. And it's almost like now you're spying on two guys, you know, McCaffrey and Debo. So you do remove them and it makes for a more difficult task. And I, I will say the Packers probably uh, arrived here before many thought they would. They were the youngest team in the NFL, by the way. Um, Jordan Love, a, a solid effort um, on the road in San Francisco. I, I think, you know, when I kind of walked away, Rez, you know, in this game, his two touchdown passes are to Bo Melton and, and Tucker Craft. And, Ray, I really wonder going into next season, you know, obviously Jordan Love will probably be drafted as a QB1 would be my expectation. But, like, I've got zero clue as to the wide receivers. Like, we're used to this in the backfield, like where we look at Baltimore, we look at Chicago, and it's like, I you know, who, who the hell is going to run the football here? I don't know. That's what I look at Green Bay's receivers now with, Ray. I can't keep any of these guys straight. I, I can't find consistency. I can't find health. 
And now I'm throwing Bo Melton, I guess, into that. Like, I don't know what to do with these guys going into next year. And, you know, I, I, I talked about this on Sirius last night when I did the show. It's really interesting because from a football perspective, when you're trying to you, – you, you want to be misdirection, right? You want to be confusing. And for a defense, what are we doing here, right? Like, we've got six guys here. What are we doing? Oh, that's tough. From an offensive perspective, if you've got six guys, do you really have anybody? Like, again, talk about the Niners. They've got Ayuk and Samuel, Kittle, CMC. That's it, right? A lot, of, And a lot of the great teams are like that, right? It's Goddard, Swift, Brown, Smith. That's all the Eagles have. Some of these teams that spread the ball everywhere, in theory, it's good and it gives you a chance to win a football game, but you've got to have people established, right? If you don't have people established and one week this guy's getting six targets and then it's three and then it's four and then it's two and then it's four and then it's one and then it's nine and then – what do you got on offense? They, they didn't they didn't really establish anybody. It was Reed for a bit. It was Dobbs for a bit. It was Wicks for a bit. It was Kraft for a bit. It was Musgrave for a bit. Like all of these pieces, it's great to have them. And it's phenomenal. LaFleur and that coaching staff getting the Packers to this point. It's phenomenal. They did great work this season. But I agree with you completely. They need to establish a hierarchy and stick with it. it it's very difficult to win in the NFL if you don't have some kind of hierarchy this guy's getting nine targets every week. This guy's getting six targets every week. This guy's getting four targets every week. Let's go. Let's get it to our best guy. Maybe they don't even know who their best guy is, Kyle. I don't know. Yeah, well, and, and a lot of it, Ray, is these guys are mostly rookies or second-year players, and so you have those inconsistencies. I think the guy everyone wanted, both fantasy players and the Packers, to, to be the guy was Christian Watson, and he was hurt in the first week of the season and could never get right, and you know his playoffs were nothing. I mean, really, the, the end of the season was was nothing for Christian Watson. The whole year was it was a totally lost year. So they've got things to figure out. They might have an issue with Aaron Jones. I mean, there are people who think that uh, his contract is just not conducive for where this team is right now. I think that's a little silly. Um, he is now 30. So that's another thing to think about. But he finished the year, including the other night, five straight games over 100 yards rushing. So yeah. he finished with a kick. So we'll see where Green Bay goes. Um, remember, they're going to be paying money to love. So they've kind of got a situation too of, you know, forking over some cash. Not crazy stuff, but. Uh, we'll see where they go. They're still young and, and still in a good spot. Um, of course, the 49ers now wait for Detroit. Uh, that game will be Sunday night, 630. Um, it, it was a fun game to watch, Ray. I'll give credit to the Buccaneers. They could have just quit a couple of times there, and that was a very tough atmosphere. Um, Baker Mayfield throws the interception late, kind of ends his season. He is now a free agent. There, There is reporting that both he and the Bucs want to keep him in the in the fold, so we'll see. I, I, I can't wait to see what the number is there for Baker Mayfield. Because Ray, I I would guess he thinks his number is like thirty five million, and I would guess the Bucks think it's twenty five million, <laughs> you know, or twenty. I, it'll be interesting to see them kind of find a, a meet in the middle spot with Baker Mayfield. Fascinating, uh, and there's even been mentioned about using the franchise tag on him, mm -hmm. which is expensive for a quarterback, right? Uh, two years, sixty million. Two years, fifty million. Like yeah. you, you can't give Baker Mayfield a five or six year contract, so. It will be fascinating because Tampa Bay, you know, where, where would they go? And this is the problem. These teams, where do you go if you don't bring Baker Mayfield back? You go Kyle Trask? Like that's, I mean, you know, you've got a whole bunch of issues with who's going to come back. You don't know if Mike Evans is coming back. Um, you know, Chase Edmonds is, is a free agent. Both White and uh, Barrett, I think it is, on the, the defensive side, they're free agents. They got a lot of oh, White and David, excuse me, not Barry. White and David are free agents. They got a lot of free agents they got to figure out in addition to, to Baker Mayfield. Uh, he certainly got himself a contract and got himself some money with the way he played this season. But 
I'll be fascinated to see if they fully commit to him big time. I don't think they should. You mentioned Evans. Uh, he put an exclamation point on his really great season. People should look up the numbers. Mike Evans, uh, he had eight catches, 150 in the touchdown yesterday. Uh, but a huge season for him. So we'll see on the Bucs side uh, what, what comes of it with Baker Mayfield. As for Detroit, um, you know, yesterday was a Jameer Gibbs day. Uh, he he kind of got as many touches as Montgomery, but he did a whole hell of a lot more with him uh, than David Montgomery did. St. Brown was St. Brown. Laporta was Laporta. And and Goff was kind of Goff. And you mentioned the the front seven for San Francisco looking ahead to Sunday, Ray. That's that's where the rubber meets the road. Because as good as Goff is, and, and he is solid, you know, he can win with Jared Goff. Um, I, I would put him as a top 10 quarterback in the NFL, maybe closer to 10 than five, certainly. But it, Ray, the, the fact of the matter is, if you get bodies around him, you get to Jared Goff. And, and that'll be the concern, I think, for Detroit is protecting Jared Goff against the 49ers and what they're bringing up front. Because even against Tampa Bay, like like every quarterback, it's not like somebody knows that. Jared Goff, though, is night and day with when he gets a pocket versus when he doesn't. <laughs> when he doesn't get a pocket, it's really ugly. It's it's vital to protect him uh, more so than other quarterbacks going into this game this week. Yeah. Obviously, they travel across country. They'll come out here to California. Goff went to school here. He went to Cal, so at least mm -hmm. he knows the area. But, you know, there are obviously statistical reasons to think the Lions will struggle on the road with Goff at quarterback versus at home. There is a split there in his performance. It's not as pronounced as a lot of people make it, but there is a split on the road. Uh, and I, I think you hit it. And I said this last night too, when I was on the show, I think the key to the game from the first look is the ability for the Lions to set the pocket. Like your point is there. If Goff has a pocket, right? The Niners can be beat in the defensive backfield period. Mm -hmm. they, and we've seen it. They can be beat. Now, if he doesn't have a pocket, they're in trouble. And we'll have to wait and see, just like we were talking with Debo Samuel's importance to the offense for the Niners. We'll have to wait and see what happens to the Lions. The Lions lost left guard uh, Jonah Jackson to a knee yesterday. He didn't finish the game. And then center Frank Ragnow was on the sidelines writhing in pain multiple times after having his legs rolled up on. So if those two guys are limited or out of the lineup, that's huge because they have to keep that pocket for Jared Goff. If those two guys are out, it's going to make that even more difficult. Uh, Detroit, though, advances. That's all they care about. They'll worry about San Francisco when Sunday gets here. Uh, 6.30 Eastern will be the kickoff on Sunday. So, again, both games will be on Sunday. Um, and by this time next week, we'll know the Super Bowl combatants. Casey, Baltimore at 3, Detroit, San Francisco at 6.30. Um, some news and notes stuff from the NFL coaching stuff. But Chicago, Ray, it looks like they have their OC. Um, Shane Walden, who I would not have guessed, would end up in Chicago. He, he's been the... OC, I think, in Seattle for the last three years. Um, you know, last week we were talking about Cliff Kingsbury and the possibility with Chicago, but they kind of go off the board uh, with Shane Walden. I'd love to say this is what it means for Justin Fields, but, Ray, I really don't know what it means for Justin Fields. Let's just have to wait and see. But they do have their offensive coordinator, which was a big thing to figure out for the Chicago Bears. Was he even – like that he uh, did he get mentioned there as an option? I don't remember even. I think it, I, I saw a number. They must have talked to like ten dudes. Like they they cast a wide net yeah. on the OC. Yeah. So yeah, and I'll uh, I would you know push the listeners to listen to Elite Sports Show three to five on Sirius XM Fantasy Sports. I'm sure Jeff Mans will talk about this. The Bears are his <laughs> former hometown team, and he he has thoughts. I'm sure they'll talk about that in more detail um on the show and for those people that are new with us here or not a member at fantasyguru.com again, again you can use the promo code fsd20 for the discount uh one of the big things we do is focus directly on 
coaching schemes and all of that and the importance of that. So there's a long way to go. So many things can change before the season starts next year, but we'll focus directly on that. So we'll have all kinds of answers. There'll be Jeff will write a 15 page article on the bears and break it down this whole coaching thing for next season. So don't worry. We'll have that covered at fantasyguru.com. Yeah, there are going to be a lot of those. There's a lot of teams still looking for head coaches, OCs, um, Atlanta. Uh, let's see. We're up to two interviews with Belichick, two interviews with Harbaugh. Uh, they've got other guys coming in. So Atlanta, I guess, has not been overwhelmed. They're, they're probably overwhelmed by the ask of money from Belichick and Harbaugh. <laughs> That's one of the things. I mean, they, they, should I, should I spend, you know, 10 to 15 millions a buck, 10 to 15 million a year on this guy? Or do I go the cheap route for like 3 million bucks, 4 million bucks? I don't know. I mean, they're a, a, a multi hundreds of millions of dollars organization, but who knows? We'll have to see with Atlanta. Uh, we just got some news and this is a weird one. Like really, we were talking about Dalvin cook with Baltimore and he obviously, Showed up late to the game, if you will, uh, in joining the Ravens franchise. Ray, it looks like the Lions. <laughs> I, I didn't see this one coming. The news on the Lions are they're coming in with reinforcements for the game this weekend. They are. Then there is no truth to the rumor that Jerry Rice is going to come out of retirement for the Niners. <laughs> but uh, Zach Ertz, according to Tom Pelissero, is going to the Lions. Zach Ertz. And, yeah, Zach Ertz. And so, I mean, there was talk about this happening when he was released. He was going to sign on with the team. There were a lot of expectations. Maybe he'd go back to the Eagles and all that didn't happen. I think the story disappeared because, heck, we're in the semifinals now. But Zach Ertz, man, he's chasing a ring. And yeah. um, Lions are willing to give him an opportunity, which is interesting because, obviously, he's a pass-catching tight end that doesn't do a very good job blocking. They've got a pass-catching tight end in Laporta who looked pretty healthy yesterday, you know, playing through the knee issue he's dealt with a couple weeks ago. But uh, – there's another weapon there, and you know they'll design some plays for him if he's active on the field. He'll get a couple of targets, most likely. But the Lions, obviously, realizing you know this is their chance. To your point earlier, when you got the chance, go for it. They're bringing Zach Ertz in, and we'll see if he's active and if he's really part of the offense against the Niners. Yeah, maybe the discussions with Ertz and the Lions were back in Week 18 after the Laporta injury, but obviously he was able to play and uh, look good yesterday. Like you know, nine catches for Sam Laporta, uh, but maybe the the recovery wasn't all that great with the knee. Uh, so we'll just have to see. But Zach Ertz uh, signing with the practice squad and could be available for the Lions going into the weekend. Uh, last thing on football this week, we're going to talk wide receivers. Today, uh, we kind of just spotlight the really good ones this year. Uh, we always start with kind of the hits at each position. And Ray, it's a top 12. And whereas, eh, you know, surprises, I guess, of guys who were studs. Overall, this list of the 12 dudes, the 12 best wide receivers in a PPR setup, is not all that shocking. You know, maybe the order or where it got, but, but really it's not shocking when you have C.D. Lamb and Tyreek Hill and A.J. Brown and Mike Evans and Stephon Diggs and Devontae Adams, Jamar Chase, like all these guys were expected to be in and around there. The only shockers here, Puka Nakua, who in a PPR setup finished number four, and then I guess Nico Collins, who finished number 12. Some might look at D.J. Moore. I would look at D.J. Moore, Ray, and if you had told me before the season that he was top 10, I would have said, wow, things really went well for that Bears offense and they made the playoffs. Well, obviously they didn't, but somehow DJ Moore still finished as the sixth best wide receiver in a PPR setup. Yeah, I think you said it right. I think that, you know, D DJ Moore, wide receiver 10, 12. Okay, yeah, wide receiver six is a surprise, but it's not a surprise to like, oh my gosh, level. And, you know, realize that when we're talking, you know, again, scoring systems are all different, but the difference between six and 12 is 25, 30 points. Like it's you know two points, it's less than two mm -hmm. points a week. So it's not a huge difference, but it was an impressive season for him. 
especially since there was a, a variety of guys throwing him the football this year in Chicago. Yeah, the top three is kind of a legit top three. Lamb, Hill, and Brown. And obviously Hill was beat up as the season concluded. So Lamb took off like a rocket in like the last six weeks. He finished over 400 points. Ray, will he get a push, though, to be the first receiver off boards next year? I I, I feel like, obviously, Jefferson will be back. Um, Tyreek Hill may get some support. There might be PPR mavens out there who say, man, I'm going Amon Ross St. Brown. I, I don't know. I, maybe Lamb will get support as, as a top wide receiver, but I still think Jefferson and Hill kind of own those first two spots at this position. Again, scoring systems are different, but in my dynasty league, the only player that scored more points than Lamb was Josh Allen. He was the number two guy in fantasy, which is amazing. Can it get better for Lamb? I mean, probably not. It's one of those seasons where, again, it's an all-time great season. I've, I've run a poll. You know, who's the number one pick? CMC versus the field. And CMC, you know, what's that, like 75% of the vote? But multiple people in the comments said the number one pick for them is CD Lamb. Really? So then I ran a poll on wide receivers and guess who the number one wide receiver was? It was CD Lamb. Huh. I, okay. I don't I don't know how much of that is chasing. I mean, really, to me, it seems like people's memory is is five weeks, and you know, CD Lamb is the best receiver in the world for 10 weeks, right? I don't know. I mean, I think that he will get a push to be the number one wide receiver, but Justin Jefferson was almost as good as he had been on a per-game basis this year with a variety of messy quarterback play. It'll be a very interesting debate as we get to next season. I think you might be better off just getting, you know, wide receiver five or something, which if it's Jamar Chase, which could be, I, I'd be, you know, very happy about that. I, I mentioned there are probably two stunners in here, uh, Nakua and Collins. Nakua four, Collins 12. Uh, who would you rather have next year, Ray, going into next season? Well, lucky for me, in my keeper league, I have Nakua. And in my dynasty league, I have Collins. So I got yeah, both, Kyle. Look at me. Look at me. Um, boy, if I, I think I'm going to go Nakua. I'm going to go Nakua on this. I one. think the answer is Nakua, but this it's predicated on Stafford obviously returning. Uh, Sean McVay falling through with his word and returning. If that happens, I'll go Nakua because Cooper Cup, I just, I mean, he's been so beat up now for a couple yeah. years. Like it seems like forever ago, and this is how fast things change in the NFL, right? It seems like forever ago he was setting all the records. I'll go Nakua. There was a, a lot of volatility to, to Collins. It was either 100 yards or 35. Like there was a lot of volatility. And I will assume Tank Dell is healthy all season long, that kind of thing. So I think that both players have probably reached their ceiling. I think that's fair. But I think Collins is, is a little bit behind Nakua right now heading into next season. And uh, we, we talked about the possibility of Stefan Diggs being on the move. Um, right? We could see Devontae Adams finish top 12 this year. He could be on the move. Mike Evans, Keenan Allen, depending on contracts, and I think certainly the case of Keenan Allen, uh, he's probably going to be in a new place. But but shout out, Ray, to Evans and Allen. Mm-hmm. Like It feels like those guys constantly have to convince us in the fantasy community that they're awesome. <laughs> you know, like every year it's like, oh, yeah, this is the year they can't do it. And obviously eventually we'll be right. But th- those guys just keep keep on keeping on, don't they? I mean, they. I don't know if it's – I think in Evans' case we're like kind of nearing Hall of Fame. Maybe huh? in Allen's, it's not there yet, just because he's kind of been overlooked so much. He hasn't really had those big moments. His, you know, he kind of comes and goes with injuries. So we'll have to see. But man, God love those guys. If if you settled for Mike Evans and Keenan Allen as your, some people might have them as their first two receivers, right? You could honestly do that. A uh, huge victory Absolutely. for you. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, we'll yeah. Talk- Baker Mayfield got one thing right. He threw it to Mike Evans an awful lot. 
Yeah, well, even yesterday, that touchdown he threw, it's like, man, Mike Evans can go up and mm-hmm. get it. Like, he can still absolutely ball, even at his advanced age. Uh, so those were the hits at wide receiver tomorrow on the program while I continue to dig through the position, talk about some of the misses. I uh, got about another 20 minutes left on the show, so let's uh, swing it over to baseball. Uh, draft guide again is out. Uh, head over to fantasyguru.com. A lot of columns um, coming out. Uh, Ray's got multiple columns coming out each and every day, as he noted earlier, head-to-head. Kind of a big thing uh, this week. For us this week, catchers are a big thing. Uh, leading up to the start of the season, we will go position by position. And each and every week, we'll devote the week to one of those positions. This week, Ray, uh, we devote our time to the catcher position. Uh, we'll kind of treat today as a, a bit of an intro. Recap who were the studs last year, who kind of led the categories. And then we'll get to our one big question First off, Ray, the studs at catcher, and again, depending on your service, this may be slightly different, but we'll call this a a overall top 12 from a year ago. Number one, Ray, and, and a lot of people may not guess this name, William Contreras, whose first year in Milwaukee was an absolute hit. Like the guy appears to be the real deal. We we wondered coming off the you know three quarters of a year in Atlanta, how good can the the number one catcher last year, William Contreras of the Brewers. Yeah, and he was good in the first half and spectacular in the second half. And he has, for the catcher position in particular, the rare combination of power and the ability to hit for batting average. That's usually one or the other, right? It's a Cal Raleigh kind of thing. And I think I'm fascinated to see if Contreras can take the second half and extend it out for a full season because he hits the ball really hard. He does have 20-plus home run power, obviously. He could hit 285-plus. Like, he really is becoming a a complete catcher on the offensive side of things, and that's not something we say about many guys at that position. He's not the first catcher going off the board, though, in drafts. It's actually the guy you see there, Adley Rauschman. He finished number two at the position. Uh, Will Smith of the Dodgers, third. Uh, Cal Raleigh, all those home runs with Seattle. He finishes up to fourth. Uh, the guy who probably for the last two or three years has been considered the number one catcher, JT Ralmuto, put him at number five, followed by Jonah Heim. We'll talk more about him this week, but Jonah Heim. Sal Perez still getting it done. Top seven at the position. Wilson Contreras, now of the Cardinals, the brother of William. He was number eight. Sean Murphy of the Braves. Um, Dalton Varsho sneaks in here. Uh, his, his year wasn't very good, but he was qualified as a catcher. Uh, he will not be a catcher this season, so that's one and done there. Um, Yanir Diaz of Houston, who came on late. And then uh, Kibert Ruiz, who as a youngster, who we are kind of hoping would take that next step, truly did. Those are your top 12 at the catcher position. Statistically, William Contreras, the best average, 289. Cal Riley, most home runs, 30. Jonah Heim led the position in RBIs. 95. William Contreras led the position in runs, 86. And then stolen bases, Ray. JT Ralmuto with 16 of them. The next best catcher had eight. So <laughs> that was always a plus with Ralmuto, Ray, was the ability to run. And he sure, certainly uh, lapped of the field, I guess, last season. He did. Yeah. And there's been catchers. I mean, we all remember, if we're old enough, the Jason Kendall days, right? There, mm-hmm. there have been catchers at times that have contributed and I think that's one thing now with the uptick in steals last season in particular the catchers that steal five to eight bases used to be a nice little 
boost. Now it's like, well, everyone's running. It doesn't matter. So if a guy actually does run and, you know, get you 15 plus steals, it's still a big advantage at the catcher position. Now, Ray, you may have this in front of you, but if you don't have it in front of you, I would not expect you to know this. Okay. Do you know the catcher who had eight? Connor Wong. Look at Ray Flowers, man. You're in midseason form, buddy. Well, I've been doing it since October 28th, so yeah. Ray, I wouldn't have guessed that name with 50 guesses. I would have guessed Colton Wong finished with eight stolen bases as a catcher before Connor Wong. Wow, nice work. Um, Okay, let's get to our one big question. Again, we gave you the top at the position. We we gave you the leaders in each five-by-five category. The one big question is this, Ray, and uh, for those who are viewing us live and kind of following along via video, it's about this guy, Adley Rauschman. Um, Ray, the one big question, is year three the explosion for Adley Rauschman? And I I feel a little dirty even asking that question because, Ray, it's like, what more do you expect? The, the guy, he has checked all the boxes, really. He, he has been a, a star. He's been a really good player ever since he arrived. He's managed a pitching staff. He's kind of turned around the fortunes of a team. He's the face of a franchise. He's had big moments. He plays. He's exciting. Like, it's it's there. Like, you feel bad saying, well, is this year going to be better? But his first two years, Ray, have been hits. I mean, there's very little to moan about when you talk about young catchers being able to come into baseball and hit and hit right away. Yet, there maybe is that hope, Ray, that there can be more, that we could get 25, 30 homers. We could maybe see a 290 average or something. Break them down for me. Again, first two years, it's hard to complain, but we're always wanting more, I guess, in the fantasy world. Yeah, it's rare for in this in the rookie write-ups at fantasyguru.com. Again, use that promo code FSD20. Uh, I prove that the top r- rookies year after year fail very frequently. So it's rare to see a guy come in and really live up to expectations. When you toss him that he's a catcher as well, it's extremely rare. Like This is really difficult to do. And you look at him in two years, and I think in the fantasy space, he's been good. I think in the real world, he's been better than in the fantasy space. And it depends upon your scoring system and all that too. But he had a 360 on-base percentage as a rookie. The number went to 370 in the second year. This is a second-year player you know, in the 370 zone, which is all-star level right now. If that part of his game continues to grow and – there's really no reason to think it won't a little bit at least. What are we looking at 390 this year? Like that is elite level stuff for a catcher. He makes contact. His strikeout to walk ratio last year was 0.9. So he almost walked as many times as he struck out. So he makes a ton of contact, which obviously allows him to also be someone that's a positive in the batting average category. Uh, I think the issue, and he hit 277 last year, whatever it was. I think the issue for Adley is what, what happens, like you said, to the next level. Played 154 games last year, so he played a ton. So it's not like you can say, well, he's going to play 20 extra games this year and that'll help. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that I would say it this way. I think that his floor is as good as any at the position. And his floor includes, I'm going to say, a 270 batting average, which is not great, but when a lot of these catchers are hitting 240, 232, 270 is good. Could he hit 290? Yeah. Do I struggle to see him exploding hitting 300 plus a little bit? Can he hit 30 home runs? I don't think he can. I don't think he's there. Maybe he will one day. I don't think he's there. So I think we'll see some slight improvements, um, but I don't think it's a category jump. I think it's the certitude that will get the production uh, at a position where it's difficult to find that. 
Ray, this may surprise you since you know me and know me well. And for anybody who's listened to us for, for a number of years, this may surprise you. But, Ray, I have consistently beat the drum of, hell no, I don't want to take the first catcher. Mm-hmm. Not interested. Been out on Real Muto. Never have I invested. Ray, I'm tempted here. Mm-hmm. I'm tempted with, with uh, Adley Rauschman. And I think his ADP right now is like right at 50. So that would be early fifth round, late fourth. I I could maybe stomach it, Ray. I, I kind of think this bat is truly legit. And, I, I you know, Real Muto and Perez, when they were doing their thing, you know, the last handful of years, they're much older yeah. than Rauschman. Yeah. You know, seven, eight years older. This is still a guy in his mid-20s. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think that games played thing is just huge. Like, even if I got 148, 145, I still think his numbers would be solid. I, I think the issue, Ray, is then I pull back because I he's he's a fun guy. He's one of my favorites in baseball, honestly. Like, if I'm ranking 10 guys I, I like, Adley Rauschman would be there. I don't know what it is, but, like, he's a catcher, Ray, and every time I watch it's like, wow, he's got this team behind him. The pitching staff, like everybody, and it feels like he's a, a true team leader who everybody gets along with. Uh, so that, I, I don't know. Maybe I'm gravitating to that. Maybe it's coloring my fantasy perception. But I start to think to myself, Ray, in the abstract, if my late fourth round pick, take the position and the name away, mm-hmm. but if my late fourth round pick hits 275 with 23 homers, 90 ribbies, am I excited about that? And I'm not. What I'm excited about that is I could get it from a catcher. Right. So that that when I pull back and think of it away from the position, which for me I, at this particular position, right, if you get a Roushman or you get a Contreras, you're ahead of everybody else in your league. But the other 75% of the guy, they're all going to be have crap at catcher. They're all going to be scrambling or they're all going to be looking for a guy who breaks out like a Yanar Diaz or something of that mm-hmm. sort. I, I am more comfortable in the, you know, and not to say I won't draft Roushman at all, but Ray, I'm a little more comfortable saying, you know what, I'll play that game, which I've always played at catcher and just kind of uh, piecemeal it together. Yeah. Instead of investing in it. And, and, and so that's still probably where I land with Roushman, but I won't push back as much as I have in previous years to the idea of taking that catcher and say that the late fourth or early fifth. Yeah, I think that the, you know, I think the real question that people have to answer is, like you're saying, what's the cost on draft day? How does that affect your build? And what are you left with if you don't do it, right? If you make the right call, if you grab the right Yiner Diaz, great. What if you grab the wrong one? And then you, at the end of the season, you've had nine catchers on your roster, mm-hmm. which I, I know everyone's done at some point, right? Like, it's like, ugh. I think the answer to whether... Adley should be the first one off the board really comes down to a couple of things. One, does it, does he improve? Like we're talking about Two, does William Contreras take another step? Does the second half become the full season and three can real Muto hold on because Romuto is, I think 32 years old now. And you look at the steals total 21 and 16, the last two years, that's big, right? I was talking about six or eight, not meaning anything. We're talking a guy who's averaging 18 or whatever the last two years. That's big. And that really, in return, in terms of fantasy value, mm-hmm. really covers up mistakes well. You mentioned Dalton Barsha earlier, right? Who's awful on offense, but he stole 15, 16 bases, whatever it was. So if Romuto can hang on in the speed piece, which again, a 32-year-old catcher, eh, like that, that could become five this year, and I don't think that'd be a shock. Then I think it's much more palatable to take Adley Rushman because you look at Romuto in particular, his season last year was down. 
And I don't know if enough people are talking about the batting averages down, the on-base percentage down, the strikeout rate was way up. Like, I think he's at that tipping point where he's going to start losing the consistency he's brought. And if he doesn't run, I think the gap between he and, and Adley basically disappears. I think that's the difference. Um, Ray, and, and I don't look at these percentages very often, but this one, you think of good hitters and you think they pull the baseball. I don't know if that's fair or not, but you think, you know, a really good hitter can go the opposite way, but most hitters, Ali Roushman, 32% pull. Is that, to me, that number seems low or is that not really low? for a It's low. It's yeah. low, but you also remember he's a switch hitter, right? That's true. That's so, true. That's good point. Uh, okay. I think, I mean, in the, yeah, I think it's low, but it's not necessarily a bad thing, right? Yeah. Because is, is Adley well, I, one the of reason the, I bring that up, Ray, is like, you know, most of the time because of the switch hitting, he's hitting from the left side. Mm -hmm. That ballpark plays a lot better for a left-handed hitter than a right-handed hitter because they've changed the fences. And so it's like, I, I, I feel like as a left-handed hitter, man, let's take advantage of that right field porch there. Um, but then you see, and to me, that kind of seemed like a low pull number for Adley Roush. Well, it is if you're wanting him to hit 32 home runs. Yeah. <laughs> if you want him to bat 290, it's terrific. Uh -huh. Right. And I think that's, you know, that's the balancing act too. You, you, with everything that's on Adley, like he's kind of the face of the, the, the franchise, even with all the young stars they have, he's kind of the guy like you talked about and he's lived up to expectations and he came in with so many, like, as a coaching staff, we're not going to say change things. Yeah. Right? You do you, right? Just, just like me and Ray are going to say change things. And give us more. <laughs> yeah. Just keep doing you. And I think that the switch hitting, I think using the whole field, I think the elite contact rate, especially for a catcher, I think you put all these things together. And that's why, well, I said, I don't think he's going to hit 300. He could hit 300. He could. And there's just not that many catchers that do that. And, you know, maybe, and we, we hear this all the time, and this data is supportive of this too. Players learn as they age to lift the ball a little bit more. They learn to pull the ball a little bit more. Oftentimes, because of their knowledge of the strike zone, they walk a little bit more as they start to age. Remember, he's only 25. Like, he's only 25 years old. He'll turn 26, I think, next month. There's a chance that, you know, we can get an incremental steps. There's also a chance we could get a step. It could happen. He could hit 28 home runs this year and bat 310. It could happen. And how many catchers could you say that and not laugh about, Kyle? Yeah, none. None. I mean, that kind of jump or, you know, 20, you know, Cal Riley, right? He got 30 home runs, so yeah. he's already there, but right. he doesn't make enough contact nor hit high enough in the order to drive in 95 runs or anything like that. Of course, I would have said the same about Jonah Heim uh, before last season. I still don't know how he got the 95 rubies. That'll be one of those awkward uh, stats for years, I think, with Jonah Heim. Uh, so there it is, our one big question of the position, Adley Rauschman. Uh, going number one as a catcher, uh, 50th overall. Uh, can he make that jump in year number three? Much, much more to come on catchers all week long on the show. Uh, some MLB news and notes, Ray, since we last spoke. Uh, the rumored destination of Josh Hader to Houston is now confirmed. Uh, five years, 95 million. And Ray, it's like you think wherever Josh Hader signs, he's the closer, right? If I'm going to pay a guy 19 million a year, he's the closer. Is that the case? They still have Ryan Presley. So is there... What do you think's going on with Houston here? Are they that built on the, we're going to shut you down in the eighth and ninth inning and the game's over after seven? Yeah, I don't remember who, someone from the front office said we haven't decided yet. I forget who it was the other day after the signing. When they when were you write your first check, you, you'll decide when you see you're paying Josh Hader. That's my point. You didn't give this guy $95 million to be a setup guy. Now, <laughs> now you know, we've talked about him a lot. He throws one inning. He will not throw two innings. So he throws one inning. They have Presley, who's had a lot of success. They're lefty-righty, 
So, you know, so I'm, I'm not going to rule out. I wouldn't rule out Ryan Presley having a Giovanni Gallegos 12 save season kind mm-hmm. of thing. Right. But I still think you have to look at Hader and think he's getting the, the 30 saves. I still think that you have to look at him and think that the Astros are being smart here. They're doing what so many modern teams do. Hader, Presley, Montero's got closing experience. And while he was up and down last year, he did finish on a high note. Brian Abreu is one of the best setup men in baseball. He had 100 strikeouts last year. That top four in their bullpen is dynamite. So yeah. you mentioned eighth and ninth inning. They, they, I think they look at seven, eight, nine and think we got this thing on lockdown. So I, it was a little strange to see it happen, but they paid him. And I think the expectation fully is he's getting another 30 save season. Well, and, and they had a little money to spend. Um, and they're coming up on contract decisions with guys like Bregman. Um, even Altuve is coming up. Kyle Tucker. Uh, you know, so they got the, Alvarez. You know, all these all this money is starting to come to fruition. Kind of interesting to see them spend $19 million for a bullpen arm. But to Ray's point, they're probably looking at it and say, we're going to finish this game off early. That That's kind of their goal. Now, the Angels, Ray, made – nobody's talking about this, but they may have gotten a closer over the weekend too. Uh, Robert Stevenson, maybe. I don't know. My crazy, he gets three years, $33 million, But that, that could be a closer there because Estevez had the job last year, but it was mm-hmm. kind of one of those, we have nobody else, and this guy's good enough. He, he's not dominant. He's not a flamethrower. But maybe with Stevenson, this is now the new, or maybe they just tag team those two guys in LA. Yeah, I love how the you know I write the I release the closer grid and the solds chart in like you know, hours, it seems like minutes later, Hater and Stevenson. It's like oh, and I got to go redo this. Stevenson is a is a darling of the the community, and he should be. Uh, his success last season when he went to the Rays was phenomenal, phenomenal. Now he's in his thirties, and there's been some health issues and all of that. But I think he is a terrific addition for the Angels. And I think to your point, I, currently we have, I think, 29th at, at relief pitcher uh, at fantasyguru.com. I got to do a little bit more digging. That might end up being higher. Because I I, by the time we get, if, if Ray, if we hear anything close to he's the guy, which I think it's that's the way it's trending with this right. money, that's a, right. he's going to be in the top 20, I bet, at yeah. that relief position. And I, I absolutely think so. Cause I mean, you, and again, he was going to be one of these guys I highlighted. So it's kind of disappointing because I was going to highlight him. Not that no one knew about him, but it was going to be a guy that he was going to, we're going to target on draft day. And now the cost yeah. is going to skyrocket because of the move. But you, you look at his performance and let me pull it up here against the, uh, when he was with the Rays, he made 42 appearances. He struck out 60 of the 140 batters he faced, <laughs> which is phenomenal. Uh, his whip was 0. 0.7. Yeah. And he had a seven and a half strikeout the walk ratio. Like this is, Josh Hader doesn't do this. That's Ray's magic, Ray Flowers. That, that's it, Tampa. Tampa doing it again. When he was with the Pirates, his whip was 1-4. So, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, you know, and there's always that hesitation for a guy that's had some injuries and who's never been a closer before, especially when you've got a guy who had success in the ninth inning, albeit a bumpy road, and to your point, not as talented in Estevez. But, yeah, we need some clarity here. Uh, I think that Stevenson – will probably, by the time it's all done this preseason, end up ahead of Estevez in the rankings at FantasyGuru.com, as well as in the ADP uh, as we get to draft day. Uh, still some significant games uh, floating around. Chapman, Bellinger, uh, Jordan Montgomery. Uh, we're now about, what, three weeks away from camp, so you have to think these guys want to find a home. So uh, maybe expect some signings in the next uh, seven to ten days as we get set for the start of the baseball season. Now, we did not spotlight one of Ray's columns today. We'll, we'll make good on that tomorrow, so do not worry, both listener and Ray. Uh, we'll, we'll hunt down those columns. We, we got a lot of them to get to, so it's not like if we miss one, we'll, we'll never get back to it. Uh, but we'll do that tomorrow. We'll get going again at 11. More football, more baseball. 
uh, more catchers, more wide receivers, all that good stuff. Uh, Ray, we'll let you run. Good times today, recapping the playoff weekend, uh, getting into some uh, deep baseball gristle, if you will, and uh, have a good day. Okay. You too, Kyle. Looking forward to tomorrow. A uh, big thank you to everybody out there, and uh, tell your baseball buddies we're now talking baseball. Many are not, but we are every single day we're talking baseball here. Fantasy Sports Daily, powered by FantasyGuru.com.